supply versus demand. It's a fundamental point in economics and one that the apartment business has been working to answer for over four decades. Nearly half of all U.S. apartments were built before 1980, even as the number of renters grew through household formation and changing lifestyles. Demand for inventory continues to outpace supply. Another 4.6 million apartments will be needed by 2030, according to NMHC. We have demand, and lately we have an increasing public interest in bringing housing to communities feeling the pain of this imbalance. A necessity for providing this new supply is financing. Money comes in all forms, private equity, public and private investment, but mostly mortgage banking. Mortgage banking debt rose to $1.6 trillion in Q1 of last year, according to MBA, despite a drop in new mortgage originations. Multifamily represented three quarters of all CRE debt growth, and GSEs, Fannie, Freddie, and FHA accounted for three quarters of that. Navigating the lending landscape is an acquired skill necessary to every successful apartment operation. Today's guest is someone who knows a lot about apartment lending, particularly FHA. Margaret Allen is CEO and owner of the privately held AGM Financial Services in Baltimore, Maryland. AGM is a national multifamily lender on both market rate and affordable properties. The firm provides funding for acquisition, refinancing, construction, and rehabilitation, and has closed over $8 billion in FHA-insured loans since its opening. Margaret, it's great to have you on the show to shed light on this complicated but critical industry. It's lovely to be here. I'm always happy to support the home builders. I think it's a wonderful organization, and I do appreciate being there. UC Berkeley with a degree in biological field sciences. That might be considered an odd background for the founder of a financial services company. Or is it? Well, I suppose at some level it's an odd background, but basically when I did biological field sciences, I studied birds. And then most women in those days, it was the 60s, expected to teach. So I got a job teaching environmental studies at the United Auto Workers in Michigan. But that involved also writing grant applications. So when I moved to Baltimore, I got a job with the city writing grant applications to HUD for Urban Development Action Grants. That might be a familiar term for some people, but not everybody, also called UDEGS. And through that, I met a HUD lender and went to work for them. They went out of business in the 1990 real estate recession, and I started AGM in my house. Now, you might say, and what does that have to do with birds? It has a lot to do with birds. Because the things you study is where do they live? So you want to know why the apartments are being built, where they're built. You want to know how high up in the sky the birds are, so how far up the trees, so how tall is this building, and what do they eat? Well, they, they might eat seniors, family, affordable, market rate, and how deep is the market? How much food is there? Uh, yes, how deep is the market? So it's all the same. Same questions. AGM specializes in FHA financing for market rate and affordable housing with descriptions like 221D, 241A, 223A7, FHA programs can seem opaque to those unfamiliar. Please give us the bird's eye overview of FHA programs and their import to developers and operators. 
So it seems to me that when you list down those numbers, those are sections of the National Housing Act. And the National Housing Act came into being in 1934 as part of the reaction to the Depression. And the primary goal was to provide mortgage insurance for homeowners, to increase the homeownership percentage in this country, which is pretty dramatic, actually. 65 to 70 percent of the population owns their homes. And not that HUD did all of it, but HUD had something to do with sort of encouraging that thinking. Um, some, the other thing that happened was during the Johnson administration as part of a reaction to um, his Great Society and the War on Poverty, he folded the Federal Housing Administration, which was part of the 1934 Act, into HUD, and then expanded the programs that were available to include multifamily housing. So all of those numbers you listed are sections of the National Housing Act, and they're administered by the Department of Housing and Urban Development. And so, so your second question was, what were the goals of doing all this in addition to increasing homeownership? It's to increase the number of uh, rental units available in the country. And HUD did that a couple of ways. One of them is that they offer loans that are long-term, fixed rate, non-recourse, and the D4 program is construction of permanent debt. The important part of that is the non-recourse part because it means a borrower is not liable to give HUD anything back except the property if the loan defaults. The other thing that HUD did was provide high leverage, which means we can loan 85% of cost, for example, and cost is a complicated formula, but if we're that high, we're higher than most other lenders, which means an individual developer doesn't have to put in as much of his own cash to get the project completed. So not only is it non-recourse, it's high leverage. So the goal being you can have more active developers producing more multifamily housing. And HUD technically restricts that to um, moderately priced housing, but that's got, it's a pretty high definition. Those are set by statutory limits that come out once a year in the Federal Register. So for example, HUD really doesn't want to finance a $500,000 unit, which makes it difficult for them to work in New York and San Francisco, but not difficult to work almost any place else. So that's the definition of moderately priced. You launched AGM in 1990 when GSEs were one of many options for multifamily borrowers. But since 2007, agency and GSE portfolios and mortgage bank securities have grown as the largest holder of multifamily mortgage debt, providing 96.4% of the increase in mortgage debt in Q4 of 2020, according to MBA. Margaret, did you think GSAs could ever so dominate the market? And what does this portend? Well, it tells you a couple of things. One of them is that um, both HUD and the GSEs are counter-cyclical lenders, which means that they're in business, good times and bad times. And I know part of what you're thinking here is that that squeezed out regular banks and insurance companies because the interest rates are pretty low right now, so they're not making enough return for their risk. But in fact, the top three Freddie Mac lenders are banks. You know, it's, it's, I wrote it down. It's Wells Fargo, Key Bank, and PNC. They've got most of the Freddie Mac loans because they're non-recourse to the lender too. Essentially, Freddie Mac is insuring it. That's what HUD does for me. They, I'm the lender, but they insure my loan. So the taxpayers have taken the risk on all these loans. I would point out, however, that HUD is profitable and sends profits back to the Treasury every year. It's not costing the taxpayers anything. and We're getting a lot more housing. Why haven't private funders like banks and insurance companies had a bigger presence in the multifamily mortgage market lately? 
Well, I think it's probably because interest rates are kind of low. Like I said, it doesn't pay enough for the risk they're going to take. They're likely to be lending recourse. So you're looking at developers who are building in COVID. So it's a little hard to predict that market too. So you've got recourse, you've got developers who are taking a big risk and tenants are a little hard to predict. I will point out, however, that most tenants paid their rents and almost all borrowers paid their mortgages. And we seem to have survived the COVID event here. Many FHA programs come with strings attached, such as Davis-Bacon wage requirements. How big of an issue is this for borrowers, Margaret? Well, what borrowers tend to do is think through the trade-offs between the benefits of a HUD loan and the not so much benefits of a HUD loan. So the benefits are what we talked about. Long-term, fixed rate, non-recourse. There's no balloon. You don't have to refinance. It's 35 or 40 years. Your interest rate is fixed at the start of construction. There's all kinds of, and it's high leverage, as we discussed. So it's all kinds of good things. But the upshot of that, because it's federal taxpayers funded the original risk loan loss reserves, that there we live in a democracy. So people who live <laughs> in this country get a chance to say something about how the federal funds are used. There is, for example, requirements about environmental clearance. You can't touch the property until HUD issues its firm commitment. You can't take down historic properties without HUD permission. You have to beware of endangered species, floodplains, um, contaminated soil, radon, noise. There's a lot of environmental issues you have to pay attention to. You have to pay attention to ADA and fair housing. ADA, everybody has to pay attention to. That's the main entrance into the building. But fair housing means the interior of the building has to be maneuverable, which means there has to be a certain number of inches between the refrigerator door and the countertop. So everybody's got to, you've got to pay attention to those things. And one of the things that HUD brings with it is Davis-Bacon wages. The interesting thing about Davis-Bacon wages is they're prevailing wages. They're not union, but frequently the union will set the wage scale anyway because unions are predominant in the market. What happens is you get a residential wage scale if the building is Five, is less than five stories, four or less, and you get commercial wages if, they're, if it's five or more. Sometimes that matters and sometimes it doesn't matter because it really is prevailing wages and sometimes it's not. So Davis-Bacon wages are a big deal in New England. They're a big deal in New York. They're a big deal in Massachusetts. They're a big deal in San Francisco. They're not a big deal at all in Florida. Just It depends on where you are. Um, the interesting thing, the sidelight about Davis-Bacon is that it came about as a result of black workers moving north. We've all heard about the northern migration of labor in right after the Second World War. And it came about because they would work cheaper than white workers. And so you got you got this notion that we should pay everybody prevailing wage. And I'm sure that didn't help the black workers at all. Developers and owners are keen on the cost of doing business. We understand there's a cost analysis to everything. Well, FHA's Multifamily Accelerated Processing Guide runs over 900 pages and lists its public reporting burden as 323.5 hours. This is the accelerated program. Is there any hope that this will ever be streamlined in order to reduce cost to borrowers and ultimately to housing? Well, interestingly enough, in 2000, this was the streamlined version. Before 2000, all of us just filled out an application and HUD did its own appraisal, its own market study, its own environmental review, its own plans and cost review, and it could take six to eight months, okay? In 2000, what HUD did was they said, okay, we're going to put that on our lenders. 
And what that means is we're the lender, but HUD insures our loan. They put it on the lenders. So we produce the appraisal, the markets, hire the market study, hire a plans and cost review, do the all the environmental reports, do a property inspection, and do a full underwriting of the loan and turn it in. And in good years, when there's not a massive queue, it'll take HUD 60 days to look at it. So it's much faster. And it's also more controlled by the lender because we've controlled all the information that they get. So that it's much faster than it actually used to be. Now, now it's a little longer because there's a big queue, but um, that was called the Multifamily Accelerated Processing Program. You look in your map guide for your information. A lot of what HUD does is um, also affordable housing. And often HUD is more prompt than the state housing agency that's issuing their credits. So some people can complain about HUD, but sometimes it's the state agencies that are doing it. Um, and it, to be honest, all those 300 or 900 hours, 955 pages and 323 hours, that's on us. The lenders are supposed to know that and explain that in reasonable detail to a borrower. So our approach is always tell me what deal you want to do and we'll tell you how we think it's going to come out, including the pitfalls. And if you still want to proceed, we'll proceed. If you don't, that's fine. That's fair. Um, the, the last thing people always want to know is where rates are today. So I thought I'd toss that in at this point. If you're doing a refinance, which is your 35-year loan, and it's a single funding, it's about 245 right now with plus your mortgage insurance premium. If you're affordable, if you're um, energy efficient, even if you're market rate and energy efficient, your mortgage insurance premium will be a quarter of a point. If you're doing a new construction substantial rehab project, your interest rate is 295 right now plus a quarter of a point mortgage insurance premium. They don't get any lower than that. But the interesting thing is costs are so high, we still have projects that are limited by debt service and can't cover all their costs. And on this planet, have interest rates of 3%, not been good enough. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining us today, Margaret. It's been an eye-opening show, especially around such a complicated but important topic. Thank you. We're happy to be here. The country needs more housing. We've been hearing that for decades. Interest rates are at historic lows, and Margaret would probably agree that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Government financing is often used to nudge the private sector toward otherwise unaddressed markets. Multifamily is a perfect example, and the government role seems to only continue to grow. Let's hope GSEs and HUD continue to provide the spark that will build out the rental housing the nation so badly needs. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and we'll look forward to our next exciting episode of NAHB Power Hitters.